Hi, it's Tim Hagen from Progress Coaching, and welcome to another episode for the Coaching Conversations podcast. Now, we are on Stitcher, we are on iTunes, and multiple different channels. Please check us out. Now, one of the things that you'll get out of our podcast episodes is a lot of content, a lot of strategy. It's not fluff, it's not concept. Yet we really want you to engage with the content and let us know your feedback. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. If there's topics you'd love to have us address, we would love to share them with you. Let us know your impact and let us know your feedback. Hi, everybody. It's Tim Hagen from Coaching Conversations Podcast. And today we have a special guest, Paul Glover from Chicago. And before we get started, let me just tell everybody my followers. This is one of the most painful things I've ever had to do in my life as he is a lifelong Chicago Bear fan, which obviously leads to a misguided perception of his talents and his thoughts. So take it, everything that comes out of his mouth with a grain of salt. Yet this is coming from a misguided Green Bay Packer fan. How are you, Paul? I'm doing fine, Tim. Thank you for such an interesting and unusual introduction. <laughs> the fact that I'm on shows that you're looking for something you can't get without talking to a Bears fan. That is true. That is true. So tell our audience a little bit about your your background and and your coaching practice. Well, I I build myself as a no BS workplace development coach. Uh, I've been uh, doing coaching since 2001. Uh, And believe me, it was a second occupation. Uh, My first occupation was I was an an employment and labor trial lawyer in the city of Chicago. And I also bill myself now as a recovery lawyer, as I would say, as much as I try, I can't recover. Uh, so there's a reason why I had to give up my first occupation, which I just adored doing. Uh, and that's because I'm also an ex-felon. Uh, I was uh, found guilty of uh, 33 counts of white collar crimes in 19. 19- and sentenced to seven years in prison. So uh, I got out of prison and uh, could no longer practice law, which makes sense. Absolutely. You don't you normally don't want ex-felons representing you in a, a certain, certain stigma there. Uh, so I, I realized that I had suddenly accumulated some voluntary, some involuntary, a unique skill set. Mm-hmm. As a lawyer, very much a critical thinker, uh, absolutely uh, pretty hardcore trial lawyer. Being a trial lawyer is uh, is the closest thing to hand-to-hand combat you can find without it being physical. And I enjoy it. Uh, very confrontational. Loved convincing the jury. So I was very good at a couple of things. One was uh, communication. And then I realized that because I had actually gone to prison and went through the uh, the self-awareness and reflection uh, phase of that life, uh, that I was able to bring that perspective to uh, leadership and uh, found out that actually I put together a program that was attractive to those who in the C-suite. I started to develop that practice, and now I have a national coaching practice that uh, absolutely takes those skill sets, puts them in front of people who are interested, and suddenly we have the opportunity to create legacy. Uh, but I also tell people I'm an acquired taste. Uh, 80% of the people who come to me don't work with me after they find out how bitter that taste can be because I'm all about uh, accountability and commitment and work. And uh, successful people are obviously are successful for a reason. And when you start talking to them about the difficulty of transformation and change, 
a lot of them decide that they're not going to do that work because they're already successful. At 20%, though, that, that has determined that they have more potential than they have used and that they want to create legacy. I, I believe legacy is the important aspect of being a leader. If you're not creating legacy, which means you're handing something of value off to someone else, you're in this, you're in this game for yourself. Yeah. Uh, definitely okay, except recognize that and make sure everybody else knows it. Uh, because again, uh, it, it should never be me before team. And when you're not interested in legacy, it's you before the team. Uh, yeah. so in a nutshell, uh, not necessarily a nutshell, but, but being a lawyer, by the way, I, just so everybody knows, uh, in medieval times, lawyers got paid by the word. You would go to the county fair and you would ask someone to do a document, a lawyer, and if they put in a wherefore, they got more money. So just so you know that lawyers are meant to just continue to ramble on until someone says, shut up. <laughs> so I'm shutting up right now. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting that you transferred, you, you know, you, you transformed yourself into the coaching practice. What led you to do that? Certainly coming out of prison and being an attorney, that's not a natural progression. I love that you mentioned self-awareness and reflection. Most people aren't given that time. And obviously you didn't want that time. Yet we all know that time is very important. We don't sit and think, we don't sit and reflect. Yet you ended up deciding and coaching. How did that happen? Well, it, it, first Again, I looked at it as, as, do I have something of value to offer? And obviously, I made the decision that I did. And I believe that, that coaching is a very interesting profession because you are required to be a giver. Mm-hmm. Time, you have to be the person that uh, holds people accountable. And I have that, that deal. I, I actually, when I, before I went to prison, I was not empathetic. Believe me, I had a, a huge ego. I, I told people I was the smartest guy in the room until I went to prison. And then I realized how stupid I was. I went through two years of, uh, of that, and I ended up serving five and a half years in prison. Took my case to the Supreme Court, got a sentence reduction. So, but that first two years, I spent on planning revenge. I was going to get even with everyone that put me in prison. However, a couple of things happened that, uh, that changed my mind and actually changed me. The first one was, after two years, I started to see people that had been in prison when I showed up and gotten out were coming back. Recidivism is 80% in the federal system. And as thick as I am and a slow learner, I realized that if I didn't change who I was and what I did, I would repeat this experience. And my, my deal in life in prison was don't make your sentence any longer or any harder. So I started to reevaluate. The second thing is when, when you look at the impact prison has, everyone goes, boy, it must have been really hard for you. Well, and I'm not trying to, to denigrate that, but you know who it was harder on? My family. Yeah. I left my family destitute, spent all the money on two trials trying to stay out of prison and got a seven-year sentence. Uh, and, and I was guilty. I mean, I was not wrongly prosecuted. I was absolutely guilty. In fact, when I was sentenced, the judge that I practiced before I had been charged said, you are one of the few people that I wish the sentencing guidelines wasn't in place so I could give you more time. That's how everybody viewed me. And when I 
And finally, on year two, the realization of the impact that I had on my family, who, by the way, stuck by my side. Very unusual. Mm-hmm. People who are serving five years plus, the, the, the opportunity for them to maintain their wife and uh, contact with their kids goes away. Yeah. People are willing to wait, uh, especially when you've, you've inflicted the emotional and financial damage on them. They didn't do anything wrong. I did. They paid the price. It was harder on my family than it was on me to be in prison. And those two things, the, the, the realization that if I didn't change, I was going to repeat the experience. And second, the realization of how it had impacted my family forced that level of self-awareness and reflection that I would never have done otherwise. That, that, that to me started the process of saying, this is hard. And it was because you have to ask people to tell you what's wrong with you. Well, and, and you had mentioned something about which, which is really interesting hearing your background about empathy. And you talk about empathetic curiosity and why it's a value of the coaching and leadership. Talk to us a little bit about that and how you've kind of, we get how you came to that conclusion. How do you utilize that or facilitate that with your clients? Well, I, you know, first, I don't believe that you can be a good coach without being uh, perpetually curious. Mm-hmm. If you're not curious about the person in the coaching process, you will not develop the relationship necessarily to be able to actually do some meaningful change and transformation. Uh, and the second thing is, of course, that that you've got to be empathetic. You have got to be able to relate in some way that allows that person to feel that they can be authentic and vulnerable with you. And if you're not empathetic, that relationship never buds. It never develops. People will not share with you mm-hmm. how they truly feel about things. So in that process of developing a relationship, and by the way, I, I tell everybody, what I'm talking to you about in your audience, that's one of the beginning conversations I have with a new person in my coaching program. They need to know how flawed I am. I want them to know that. And I want them to know that, that I will not be shocked by anything they reveal to me. Yeah. Talking professionally, of course, I try not to get too personal. But but I also believe right now that, that a part of being personal is a part of being a good coach. Uh, you know, we, we've gone through this thing about let's just be professional in the workplace. That doesn't work anymore. Yep. <laughs> to be personal, you are never going to develop the relationship. Professional is all about transactions. Personal is all about relationships. And it's pretty apparent, and, and if you don't see this as a leader, you are deaf, dumb, and blind. This is required now by the workforce, especially because of the pandemic. It is shown Absolutely that professional relationship and said, if you want us to be what you want us to be engaged, you are going to have to relate to us as relationships in a personal situation where we may even talk about our family or our community. Uh, and, and so that to me is where the empathetic curiosity and empathetic listening, active listening doesn't cut it anymore. And that, that's a term that's now archaic. Uh, Empathetic listening is is where we have to be with this. So do you find, you know, it's interesting, you mentioned the word blind spot. And one of the things that you've talked about in your work is how coaching helps people reveal their blind spots. Do you feel that you lower some defenses because of your, quite frankly, very unique background, that it helps people be comfortable with their own lack of perspective? Because, you know, as you and I both know, we teach coaching. We don't really necessarily do coaching. And so when I have coaching clients, 
I do, it's very similar because you and I are very similar as much as we don't want to admit it, is I'll talk about how I was very low in empathy until I went through the EQI program. Now I'm much more empathetic. I've noticed a big difference. Do you feel that your background helps people be comfortable with sharing their lack of perspective and potentially discovering their blind spots? It, it absolutely does. I, I think that first, look, I, I believe that all relations start off with one thing. Are you competent enough to do the job? No one wants someone who's not competent. But once you get beyond that, then it, then it very much is about personal and caring. Uh, and, and so, no, I, I, I feel that revealing my, the, the process I had to go through to understand my blind spots, which I believe are part of personality, mm-hmm. I don't think people are able to get, get away from your blind spots. They exist for a reason. Uh, but you also want to know they're there. Then you're able to do the, the necessary behavior so you avoid temptation. And I know this is a bad analogy, but I use it anyway. Uh, I, when I got out of prison, I, had, I was known in my circles as a stand-up guy. Because when, when the government offered me the opportunity to reduce my sentence by turning somebody else in, I refused. So when I got out, and by the way, there's some people who would say, well, that, you know, that, that you should be a good citizen. I was not a good citizen. I don't say that I was. I am now, but I wasn't then. And I wasn't going to do that. I just wasn't. And, uh, and so when I got out, I received several phone calls that said, we appreciate the fact that you did not talk to the government about anybody else. We would like to offer you opportunities. Now, I was so desperate for a job when I got out that I filled out an application at Starbucks to be a barista. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how I was looking at my career. I had none. And by the way, being a convicted felon, being 50 plus years old, out of prison, you're not, you're not a, the, you're, an interesting demographic. <laughs> exactly. You're not number one on anyone's recruiting list, believe me. Uh, and even under those circumstances, I said, thank you very much, but res- respectfully, no. Why? I learned the lessons that my blind spots would put me back in prison. So yes, I think at first being able to talk about the process I went through to reveal them, and then what I have to do to avoid the temptation to relapse, uh, give people in the coaching op- process the opportunity to say, all right, I need to know what mine are yeah. because we have them. And by the way, they're called lifestyle for a reason. We don't see them and no one will tell us. In fact, there are those that, that love our blind spots because it gives them the opportunity to take advantage of us. Yeah. Guess what? The concept of being a coach is to say, look, if you want to get better, if you want to realize potential, develop legacy, you need to know what your blind spots are. And then you need to know what to do to avoid the behavior that those blind spots cause. So let me let me interject something because you just brought up something that's interesting. I didn't think about asking you. You use the word relapse and I'm, I'm, I'm going to cross a line with you and I don't want to offend you. But as a bear fan, then again, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> You use the word relapse, which I think is really an interesting word when you think about leaders. You don't need to go to prison to relapse. Don't leaders relapse as well because of those blind spots? Absolutely. It's an interesting analogy. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, but no, but but you're spot on. Absolutely, they do. Uh, By the way, good intentions are only good intentions that matter if they're followed by the proper action. Yeah. And the reality is, I, and I tell leaders all the time, look, and again, bad analogy, but I use it. Uh, uh, if you're recovering 
alcoholic, you don't go into a bar and tempt yourself to see how strong your will is. If you do, you're an idiot. The same thing with leaders. You need to have someone that will continually talk to you about the behavior that you're showing because relapsing comes when we're in a crisis. Mm. We will relapse because that's who, that's our blind spots are that strong. They do not go away. We recognize them. We put together a behavior that allows us to avoid the bad behavior. But when we're in crisis mode, a lot of the stuff that we, we are doing goes away. So somebody has to be there. And I think that's a coach's job to say, Hey, let's take a look at what your behavior is telling us, not just me us. And once you have that conversation, that honest conversation, people are able to take the action necessary to not relapse. Yeah. And I, and I, and I have to share something with you and I, I'm probably bringing it up because they're also staunch Packer fans, but you, but you talk about something about, you know, that relapse. And I love your comment, uh, Paul, about relapse in a crisis, you know, it reveals crisis is really reveal, you know, who we are and what we're able to do. And I remember a um, during the Great Recession, uh, one of my favorite clients, maybe my favorite client of all time, have treated me like family as a company in Wisconsin called InPro. Construction, hospital, healthcare, nursing homes, not a great industry to be in. And I remember Phil Ziegler, their CEO, and then Mark Cowan, their president, um, literally addressed the company and said, we're fine. We're going to keep doing what we did. We're going to run the company. We're financially strong. Everybody go home and enjoy their families. And I remember that presentation. And I just sat there and I I whispered to the talent development director, Jennifer, I said, holy crap, look at the people. She goes, what? I go, look at their faces. You could see people and they just relaxed. And I'll never forget that presentation because I walked out with Mark and I said, that was the best presentation I think you could have ever given. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, you didn't overreact to the crisis. You didn't over, you calmed over a hundred people down. Till this day, he and I argue about the value of that presentation. But it goes back to how we reveal ourselves during a, a crisis. So let me let me transition to something which I think is going to be a really stupid question. You think you're a Packers fan? Of course, it's going to be a stupid question. <laughs> I know the answer, but I can't wait to hear how you craft this. Obviously, you and I've gotten to know each other a little bit, and we're going to probably continue to do some of these because of the whole Bear-Packer battle. Humor is an essential coaching trait. Why? Uh, first, uh, and, and, and be- I believe this so strongly that it is part of my coaching program. Mm-hmm. Every, and I, I'll speak to the people in my coaching program every other week for between 30 and 60 minutes. And one of my primary focuses is to make them laugh. Yeah. I will say outrage. By the way, everybody has a different sense of humor. I will say something so outrageous that someone will laugh, perhaps out of shock or surprise. Why? Well, first, I believe in, in that leaders need to take care of themselves before they can take care of anyone else. And the mm. has shown that leader welfare is always a secondary issue for leaders. So as you go through the day-to-day grind of running an operation, having your interaction with employees, I believe one of your obligations as a leader is to take stress off of them. You just mentioned this, that the message that this president gave his people de-stressed them. Absolutely. In a group, you may not have the same impact of what happens to that stress. I think stress has to be dissipated. He helped dissipate the Mm. 
However, one-on-one communications, in especially in a pandemic, requires that the leader take the stress off of the employee and they take it on themselves. It's just the way it is. I, I believe in the, the exchange of energy. And you know, we're having a, an exchange of energy right now. It's a good energy. It's a, you know, we're laughing, we're having some good, I hope a good thought or two, but we're actually enjoying it. My, my coaching pro, my coaching conversation is all about the exchange of energy. By the way, if, if my level of energy at eight o'clock in the morning has got to be the same at five o'clock at night. Absolutely, yeah. That person at five o'clock wants that same inter- interaction and exchange, right? So I've got to take care of myself and make sure that that's there. I believe that every interaction with an employee causes a leader to do that exchange. If they're good, they'll be giving them energy, but they'll be taking stress. And you got to do something with that. So to me, one of the ways to do that is you've got to be humorous. I truly believe you want to have fun. Watch the Three Stooges. I swear to God, find them and if, if, slapstick humor. Don't have to think about it; it will make you laugh. Laughing is a de-stress. Well, and I'll and I'll share this with you as a uh, fat Wisconsinite who loves the Green Bay Packers. Um, my heart rate's low, my blood pressure's low, and my doctor always looks at me and goes, "You're an anomaly." You know, I don't think he really says what he wants, but, but I mean, I've read articles and certainly, you know, I don't take weight lightly or the risk of, uh, with heart disease, but you know, we do something at our company. We put out clips of Seinfeld in the office and we give people 20 minute breaks every single week. And this week we had a, um, a fun officer and everybody had to dress with every one of these colors she listed. And we all posted pictures because we're virtual. We've been virtual for 12 years. And I love what you said, Paul, about, you know, exchange of energy, dissipating stress. And so when you think about your business and you think about the the message that you've given our audience, who's your ideal client? What's the what's your sweet spot? Where what are the type of companies that should should contact Paul Glover? Well, I I have a pretty niche business just because of my personality. Uh, I really work well with distribution companies and manufacturing companies. Okay. Uh, it's not that I can't work well with healthcare or retail, but in all honesty, my approach is usually a little too hardcore uh, for them is my personality. So those two niches is where my, my primary business resides. Uh, I get along with pragmatists. But I also believe that they're the ones that need what you just said I love. You're giving your people the opportunity to celebrate. And during the pandemic, I was on every case about on Friday. Look, (laughs) I'm in male-dominated industries. And, you know, we've given everybody the right to be, to act a certain way as a man. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to be empathetic. We're not supposed to show. I'm so tired of hearing that. You yep. know, the reason we're not doing that is because you're a guy. I'm like, you're a human being. You right. have to. So, but, but back to this. So during the pandemic in particular, my deal was on Friday. I want you to get in front virtually, get in front of your team, and I want you to celebrate. I want you to do the ugly sweater week. Everybody goes, uh, I want you to do your happy dance when everyone reached goal. Well, what do you mean? Actually dance. Right. Look like a fool. Make them laugh. 
Uh, you know why? What we end up doing at the end of the week as leaders is we see, say, see you next week. Yep. Now, it's been a bad week. It's like an invitation back to hell. Instead of that, hug them, kiss them, tell them, I love you guys. Please go home and enjoy your family. Well, but vulnerability and what you're talking about, or where I would paraphrase that, Paul, is vulnerability opens up other doors. And I'll share this as a, as a, a coach of boys volleyball. And I remember my assistant coach who took over for me called me and he goes, are you, are you coming home? And I said, no, I'm at a meeting. He said, you need to come to the homecoming parade. What are you talking about? He goes, there's 70 kids wearing t-shirts with your face on it. And what they did is my captain knew my humor, took my LinkedIn profile and made t-shirts and every kid wore them and walked down the center street of Cedarburg, Wisconsin at my expense, which was awesome. And yeah. I had a parent go, are, are you angry? I go, why would I be angry? I said, if I can laugh at myself, then they should be okay if I laugh with them. And part of that is what we did in the pandemic. And I have to share this with you as a friend. We did eight week program, no charge, no sales follow-up. Because I knew darn well, if we started selling during the pandemic, it would look bad for what we do. So every week we played Irish music. We cranked it for the first 10 minutes. One time I had strobe lights playing and someone goes, what is that? I said, oh, I'm getting pulled over. We might have to start late. And the person goes, where are you? I, said, I'm in my car. I wasn't in my car. I thought I was doing a webinar from my car. But we got people laughing. And I said, guys, next week, here's our topic. And it was an eight week session. We did not charge for it. Because I knew in our business, had we come off as pandemic coaching experts, none of us have been through a pandemic, it would have killed us if we did the opposite. And we made it fun. People were like, every week we had 422 companies signed up. We probably had a 50% login, 30 to 40 minutes early rate, just so people could listen to music. Then people started to put in music requests. So it's just, you know, these are interesting times. And I love some of the things that you shared with our audience. So how does someone get a hold of Paul Glover? I, very simple. PaulGloverCoaching.com will, uh, will get you to, uh, uh, to my website. And also Paul at PaulGlover.com will get you to my uh, email and also LinkedIn, Paul Glover Coaching. And uh, I, I always enjoy... I, First, I enjoy this conversation. And what I what I like is when somebody gets in touch and says, you're so full of BS, I can't stand it. Uh, and that suddenly generates a conversation. So Absolutely. They, anybody who has a, uh, especially Packer fans think that, I don't know why, but but uh, just, just if you want to have a discussion or you've got an issue, you want to say, hey, I'm interested in your opinion about this, or hey, here's something I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? I'm absolutely up for those conversations. Oh, by the way, perpetually curious. I love it. And, and so for our audience, again, you know, paulglovercoaching.com, uh, reach out to him, especially if you're in manufacturing. I've spent a great deal of uh, time with Paul. Um, I think what he does is something that's sorely missing. A lot of times in our business, we, we prolong problems to maintain clients. He hits issues head on, which we all need. And I think you'd be well served uh, to reach out to him. And this is coming from a person who does not even like him. So you know it's objective feedback. Thanks for your time, Paul. Hey, Tim, thank you so much. I've appreciated it. I've enjoyed it. And, and thanks for allowing me to be in front of your audience. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Coaching Conversations by Tim Hagen and Progress Coaching. 
Now, our company is always coming out with new and innovative solutions to help leaders coach their employees. And recently, we just created a new service called Coach to You, where leaders can pick and choose topics and assign 7 to 21-day programs for employees to learn and, more importantly, apply actions and then reflect and share what they're going to do going forward as a result of the learning. It's called Coach to You. We're literally bringing coaching to your employees. If you're intrigued, we'll have a link in each one of our episodes where you can get more information. And again, thank you so much for listening to another episode.